sing a little bit later on uh, and respond to the word. It's a privilege to preach. I, I, I don't know if you've brought Bibles with you. Um, that's not to make you feel guilty, uh, but maybe an encouragement um, to bring them along. And you, This is the opportunity to get your phones out and uh, find the, I like the fact that you've got your, your Bible there. It's good stuff. Um, you can get your phones out. Please don't check social media. Unless I something really, say something really great and you want to post it. No, I, I'm not really meaning that. Um, there's some really great apps. We, we're privileged to have the Word of God and um, encourage you to, to not only hear it this morning, but to, to keep on reading it. They, they are really great words. So I'm going to start with a reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, and we will pick up with some words in Jeremiah a little bit later. So if you find Jeremiah as well is in the Old Testament. We'll get there in a moment. So, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We recognize they teach us and inspire us confront us in our thinking and, and reveal to us who you are, what we're like and what you're like. And they are powerful to transform us. Thank you for that. They're powerful to give us wisdom and to, to help us in the very, the very thing of living life. And we ask that we'd be able to live it to the full. And we thank you that the Scriptures teaches about the faith journey. They root us and they establish us. And indeed, they are so efficient in accomplishing what you've purposed them for. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. As, as you know, uh, on my sabbatical, uh, which was uh, just in the summer, um, to the astonishment of many, I chose to focus on two courses in the first week. One was on violence and wrath, and one was on Jeremiah, pain and promise. And it was a bit of a heavy week, as you'd understand. And um, we're in a theme in the, the morning services of today, which is one uh, of a short one over the summer, um, called Growing in Christ. And as I've been reflecting this week on, on what to speak about, 
I kind of thought I wanted to, to touch upon this whole area uh, around of, of suffering, but particularly focusing on Jeremiah. I obviously spent a little bit of time thinking about him. And particularly what are called, in old language, Jeremiah's confessions. He's not gone to a little box in a church and you know, speaking through a grill. But actually his confessions, or more properly, I guess they could be called Jeremiah's laments, from chapter 10 to chapter 20, sections of that part of the prophet, are really quite astonishing. And I want us to look uh, this morning at a couple of Jeremiah's laments particularly, and to think a little bit about lament now. Have you ever lamented? It's a funny word, isn't it? Have you ever lamented? I guess you may be thinking, what are you on about, Edward? What is a lament? Have you ever cried out in desperation? Have you ever cried out in pain? Have you ever kind of voiced out into the ethers because you don't even know if God is there? Frustration or, uh, or worry or where are you or why is this happening? Have you? That's lament. There's lament in all sorts of places in the scriptures. Psalms carry a bunch of the lament psalms. You, you may have come across those. They, they're one, some of them, even you kind of think, should we even read them in church? They can be really quite harsh, questioning. Some would say honest. Some would say not very full of faith. What is lament? And yet within the scriptures, and particularly in Jeremiah's expression, they, they are really, really important. Lament can, can be used in a number of ways. It can be used for remembrance, remembering. So uh, at the, the, the second Sunday of November, we set aside, not only on the 11th of November, but the closest Sunday to that, this year is the 13th, a time of national lament. I know it's moved a little bit more maybe to nationalism and, and militarism and things, but at the heart of Remembrance Sunday is a gathering nationally around the Cenotaph and here in Camden at the Memorial of people in ceremony and with the sound of a, a bugle and with some words that are said and wreath upon wreath upon wreath of red poppies laid. That's lament. It's remembering the horrific loss of World War I of blood shed, of lives laid down, of saying this was such a moment in national life that we have to mark it because it was so seismic and the reverberation still. I'm always struck as I stand at the memorial and I see the names of those from this community, and they were people. Some people from our church, some people from this school. Lament can be remembrance, remembering the horror, but also of, of willingly laid down life. A time of lament and remembering. Maybe some tears shed. Lament can also be protest. Have you ever lamented in protest? 
not that your dinner's been served cold, again, but of, of situations and circumstances where we recognize something is not right. And there's something that is uttered, something that is declared to say, this cannot remain the same. The apartheid movement and the, uh, the, 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 in, the kind of, in the 80s, and uh, particularly of, of protest, of lament, of saying this is unjust. In the, the last few years uh, of, of that statement, I can't breathe. Remember that, the Black Lives Matter in America of that poor uh, man who was knelt upon for minute upon minute upon minute. I cannot breathe and became a totemic moment to say that injustice is still pervading much of American society and caught up a groundswell of lament, of protest to say this is not right. In Canada, as I was studying there, very, very aware of neighborhoods with orange flags. I don't know if you've seen this. You may have kind of been aware of it on the edge of our news here in Britain. But um, institution, care home, orphanage upon orphanage that were run by the Catholic Church of Aboriginal First Nations children who were killed and buried. And people protesting, lamenting, and saying, how can this be? Indeed, this week, we've seen in the the national mourning a lot of thanksgiving for the life of Queen Elizabeth. But I think something of lament, of the loss, and what's it going to be, and uncertainty being framed of, is King Charles up to it? (laughs) We pray for him. In a recognition that she was uh, often described as that constant presence right from the prime ministership of Winston Churchill through so many prime ministers and presidents and the changing decades. Lament. It can also be really personal and private. Of that Desperation, that cry in the dark when you think, where are you, Lord? You seemed at one point so close, so vital, so I was so full of you, and, and now it just seems an absence and a lament of that time, a lament of the changing of seasons of life. I'm still working out what to do with glasses in preaching, and I'm having to change the font size, and I, I'm not trivializing lament, but I'm kind of like turned 50, and I'm going, oh, it's that phase of life, isn't it? Everyone, all these older people, yeah, yeah, Edward, you will find out about us. Lovely Lana brought me some specs holders once. Still not got them on yet, have I? I don't trivialize this. Lament can be to do with health, the loss of, the loss of family, the loss of employment, financial strain. Oh, Lord help. And I want to frame this in the context of growing in Christ. Strange that, isn't it? That the trial and and suffering and pain and loss and of powerlessness can actually be a prompt for growth. But that seems to be 
how Scripture takes it. It can lead to despair and walking away, I have to be honest. But these moments can be places of fresh encounter, of revelation, of understanding, and a drawing back to trust. Can be. There's no certainty, but then that's the journey of faith. It's, it's about our, your choice of trusting in the Lord or not contending in circumstances of life, of walking with him, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes it is really, really difficult. And so we have Jeremiah, the prophet. Did you know he is the longest, the prophecy of Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament, the most words? If you accomplish Jeremiah, well done. The biggest proportion of the 66 books is done. Um, Jeremiah, I must say, can be quite confusing when you read it. It doesn't follow any chronology. You start at chapter 1 and end up at chapter 52, I think it is, and um, it jumps around. It kind of goes from this to that to this and reiterates something of that, and there's kind of stuff about nations and prophecies against um, all sorts of things, and then there's kind of what we call autobiographical stuff, the stuff about Jeremiah, the stuff about how he was called by God in chapter 1, these laments in, through chapters 10 to 20. There's, there's about when he gets stuck in the system, there's times when he's told to go and bury some underwear by a river and leave it for a year, and then go and fetch it and see how it is. Have you read it? That's in there. You can like, really? Jeremiah's quirky. It jumps around, it's seemingly chaotic, it's mixed up. And some have seen, even in the way Jeremiah is structured, I don't know if this is true or not, but that could just be a sign of trauma and of pain and of distress. I mean, you read the story of Jeremiah and go, he had a tough time. But also in what we have recorded, it's a really, really dark time for the nation of pain distress of everything being thrown up in the air and having no idea where the pieces will fall. It's understandable, perhaps, that it's a challenging book. Because in the time of, of Jeremiah, Israel was in the turbulent times, on the kind of political and kind of, of how things were falling in the time, it was turbulent. Israel was a bit like a piggy in the middle. There were the Babylonians, which is kind of like Iraq now, and they were in ascendancy, and, and because of the way rivers worked and where farms could grow, there was this kind of patch of land that they could move through that wasn't desert, which went through Israel. And in the south, good old Egypt, that fortress of strength and uh, a political intrigue. We see these, this tussle of Egypt and others throughout the story of the Old Testament. And the rising star in Babylon was none other than Nebuchadnezzar. If you read Daniel, he features a lot in the, the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is powerful and brutal and a conqueror. He's dominant and he's a dominator. Egypt is becoming weaker and weaker. And little Israel in the middle getting squashed by these powers. Squashed between the mighty storms, the forces of conflict, of, uh, are finding themselves. Where do we go? What do we do? We are powerless in that which is going on around us. We may not be like geographical Israel, but I'm sure you're aware of the headwinds we're facing, as Liz Trust phrased it. 
have you opened your energy bill yet? And seen they've added a few zeros on the end. How will we pay? How will those who really struggle at the moment afford it? Headwinds that we're powerless in the global scheme of war in Ukraine, of, of different ideologies vying, of secularism in our nation. Uh, uh, the nation of Israel was on the wane. It had poor leadership. Make of this what you will. I'm just stating how Israel was. It had really, really poor leadership. It had bad kings who made bad choices. And the nation went along with it. But on another level, things were really quite dark spiritually theologically, that what was happening to them in Israel, as we're told by the prophet and, and so many others, this wasn't an accident of the time or indeed fate that they deserved it. They'd actually forgotten their God. They turned away to other gods and kind of said, we will seek those as sources of strength or maybe hedge their bets and say a little bit in this camp and maybe some in there because what does it matter really? Some of them had turned a little bit more to secularism, of trusting in the government and, and of trade deals, of looking to Egypt and saying, they'll support us, they'll be our backstop. Or maybe just depending on the economies and, and the harvest and the rains to say, money will get us through. And yet into the fray, God announced by the prophets many times and in multiple ways that this cannot continue. That unless you repent, unless you return, unless you turn, you're heading for danger. It's a bit like the prophets are saying, there's danger ahead. Stop. This road will lead to calamity. You will fall off the cliff. But to no avail, it was falling on deaf ears. There was this fallacy amongst the leaders and the people that they were the masters of their own destiny. And so for Jeremiah, when he is born and raised up by God in the 6th century BC. It is a climactic time, both for their land, for their nation and national identity, for their ceremony and ritual, for the people, for their institutions getting overrun, that they were decimated and desecrated and demolished and destroyed. It really was a painful time. I'm painting it a little bit bleakly, aren't I? But that's what they lived through. And because of that, it raised and produced these deep, deep systemic questions. Where is God? How can God let this happen to us? Why doesn't he prove to be stronger than or, or to vanquish these imperial forces who would come? Hasn't he promised to be with us? Hasn't there been a covenant? Hasn't he come through in the past? And in the story through Jeremiah... And indeed, the nation of Israel, deep, deep pain and loss. And lament. Pain personified in the prophet Jeremiah. It is a prophetic word of God. And that prophetic word of God includes so much of him. The biography, not just the utterance of, of what thus saith the Lord. But of him. And what it was like to be a follower of God in difficult times, of the struggles, the heartache, of the successes, and again and again of opposition. 
chapters 11 to 20, uh, have Jeremiah's laments. They are kind of like prayers or shouts in the wind or statements. They're painful and they're blunt. And they carry with them, I'll come to something else a bit later, but they carry with them something of the pain of the fact that Jeremiah and his people, the people that Jeremiah loves and has been called to serve, have rejected the Lord. But also, there's a sense of the personal pain of Jeremiah, who has been rejected by his fellow citizens, who hate him, who stand against him, who say, you're a liar. They're out to get him, do him in, chuck him down the well. They have death threats against him. He has to flee. A few of his friends protect him. It's really tough being a follower of Jesus sometimes. And Jeremiah recounts, you find these confessions in chapter 11, chapter 12, 15, 17, and 20. And I I want to read to you two of them. And I want you just to kind of, as I read them, have in your mind how you think he might have said them. Sometimes when we read them in church and publicly, we kind of, we, we don't act them like we would at the RSC stage. I'm not that good an actor. But I wonder, as I voice them, I'm not going to try and and put a slant on it, but hear how you think Jeremiah might have said it. Do you think he's angry? Quiet? Pleading? Adamant? They're on the screen to follow. Remember, this is a prophet of God who is celebrated. Chapter 20, verse 7 to 18. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? What do you think of that? 
everyone's going, phew. <laughs> That's in the Bible. This is a prophet of God, one of the great, if I can't, you know, I forgive Nahum and all that, and this, the lesser prophet, so to speak. How do you handle that? Let me read to you Jeremiah 15. Whoa, another one. I will enslave you to your enemies in the land, in a land you do not know, for my anger will kindle a fire that will burn against you. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You were to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue and to save, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. Jeremiah is sometimes called the weeping prophet. He weeps for himself, and he weeps for the nation. And he weeps because God's name isn't loved, and he weeps because people have turned away. God's response is interesting in chapter 15. The, the God in what he says, as we heard written, I will restore you. I am with you. I will make you a wall, for I am with you and rescue you, is actually a really strong echo of how he was called in chapter 1. We heard it in chapter 20 when he says, oh, curse be the, the, my mother's womb. And yet in, in the call of Jeremiah in chapter 1, we hear God say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. And, and Jeremiah, like many prophets, says, I can't speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, says the Lord. So what do we learn in this growing of Christ? What do we learn when we, life seems to hit the barriers? You may be there or you may have been there and still struggling to come to terms with it. Or it may be an experience we face as a nation. We are facing that growing in Christ often involves pain because of love. We are faced with this dilemma not because God is almighty and powerful and abstract and uncaring, but precisely because he is all-powerful and all-loving and involved with us. That we sometimes face 
suffering or persecution or challenge or the stress of life. And we have to face the question, what do we do when it hurts? That person will cry out, where are you, God? In the situation, this isn't what I signed up for or I expected. Has God abandoned me? I look around the church and it seems that everyone's having a lovely time with God, but it seems to me he is absent and I am alone and I just am having to put a brave face on it, but really there's just emptiness within. Why has it got so bad? Or maybe you just find that the national, international picture, it's like, where are you, Lord? We're being tossed about in brokenness and brutality. You see the bodies being exhumed in Ukraine of people executed and killed. We hear through open doors, and we will hear on Saturday, of seemingly abandoned Christians around the world where they are just targeted and no one stands for them. We've enjoyed a balmy summer, but we know the flip side of that is environmental disaster and, and changing climate. What do we do? The scripture would say lament. That it's not singing in the wind or shouting into the hurricane, empty words. It's lament. Of those who cry out in great distress and have nowhere else to turn but God. Even in the midst of all that is facing that seems to tower and eclipse and fill our gaze, the thin glimmer of thread of faith that says, yet I will call out to God because he yet still is bigger. Lament doesn't trivialize the situation, but says, here, Lord, I cry out to you. I wonder when the last time you lamented. It's okay, says Jeremiah, if we learn anything from this prophet, it's okay to say it, of how it is, how it feels, what's going on in the internal dialogue. It's okay to voice it. He's not going to strike you down with lightning. I mean, if you go to Dover's Hill in a thunderstorm, I mean, he's not going to strike you, but you run the risk. You get me, you know, don't fly a kite in a thunderstorm. But if Jeremiah can voice this and say, you cursed the mother that bore me. How dare you, God, bring me into the world? That this is the one who was anointed and called by God and had committed his life. If he can utter that and God hears him, let that be a liberation to you to lament, to say it as it is, to pray it, to shout it, to write it. Don't be silent. Be honest, and if necessary, be emotional. <gasps> Gosh, we're British, most of us. Sorry if you're international. Lament is okay, more than okay. Whether it's personal, whether it's for our situation and circumstances, or whether it's for our nation and our world, Theologian writes this, lament is impatient, insistent protest at the situation. 
It's part, he says, of the extraordinary vocation of the people of God within the overall plan that God has. You might think we lament enough already, but actually today, while there is plenty of resignation, passivity, passivity, blind acceptance of one's present situation, and numbness in our church leadership, there is little lament. To lament is to courageously approach the Lord and protest over one's life, the state of one's, and the materialism which we so inhabit. To lament is to get honest with God about the state of the world or ministry to which he has assigned us. But lament and tears can only come when we deal with things honestly. Pain is the signal to grow, not to suffer. Once we've learned the lesson, things change. It's okay to lament. Maybe we should do more. The lament in Jeremiah is very much Jeremiah to his God, who he knows, who's called him, who's, who's called him to this hard task, and he, he bemoans his circumstances. He says, this is tough. Why me, Lord? Why didn't you choose someone else? But Jeremiah is also and other times lamenting for himself and the community just before exile, seeing and knowing what God has declared, that if people in this trajectory continue to reject him, turn their face from him, then he will judge them. The exile happened not by chance, but because God brought it. Because they denied the covenant. And I think part of the reason that they've been kept for us and they form part of, of the Bible, not just Jeremiah, but the Psalms and many, are those who were in exile, those who were in the place of pain on the sharp, pointy bit, are actually deeply grieved. And what do you do with that? You lament. Personal and for the public, it's a mediating position. Both of what Jeremiah had to contend with in himself when he thought that he was so alone in it, but also as he stood as a mediator and as representative of his people, to cry out for his people, for his community, for his nation. I said I'd talk a little bit about another way of seeing this I haven't got time to push into this much, but what is a prophet? A prophet is a spokesperson for God, brings the word of God. That it's not just the word and then the prophet gets on with the life, that the prophet is called and raised up and lives. And Jeremiah, so much in his ministry, is called to stand for the things of God. He told, go and go to weddings and funerals, step apart. Don't go and have parties and good times and drink wine. That's not for you. That all of Jeremiah's life as a prophet is caught up with this representing God. So there's a little bit of a hint, and the New Testament would pick this up so much more. That not only do Jeremiah's confessions, his laments, represent his own struggle and the that of the struggle of Israel... I think perhaps they start to speak about the heart of God, of God lamenting over the loss 
and the abandonment of his people. That it grieves God's heart when we deny him, when we refuse him, when we turn willfully or recklessly away from him, that there's a sense in which Jeremiah's words are often expressing God's pain. The heart of the Father for us and his people and his world who've abandoned and chosen stupidity over wisdom. What does Jeremiah 15 tell us as they close? The pain we bring in worship should never be exalted above its ability to fling us into the Father's arms. Voice it. As you voice it, as you declare it, he's not angry with you for doing that. Lament. That it can be emotional, it can be when you go for a walk and shout. You can write it however you, you are able to do. But in that, there's an expressing of, well, whom and where else can I turn? I will hold on to him. And don't abandon the scriptures. Don't abandon the word. It's interesting in chapter 15, as I read, when God responds to Jeremiah's lament, he's crying out. God speaks. He speaks in all the laments up to 15 and then doesn't. It's really interesting in the last two laments that God doesn't reply. There's a bit of a debate about why that. But I think it's possibly to do with God actually in chapter 15 in, in the things we read said essentially, I know it's tough, but I'm with you and that is sufficient. I have raised you up. I have given you my spirit. The words that I have promised and called you to speak, keep on them, doing them. And even in the storm that rages around you, I shall deliver you. And then he laments a couple more times and God is silent. Why? Because I think God wants us to remember what he said. That God in his grace speaks things sometimes a few times and then says, will you just trust me? I've said this to you, my word still stands and it's true and trustworthy. You can depend upon this. Don't forget. Take it to heart, internalize it, cling on to it. For his word is true. Nothing, everything else shall pass away, but his word won't. Remembering your calling of how he called you, raised you up. Remember your baptism and of why you chose that moment and that in life to say, yes, I am yours and I will walk with you. Remember those times that God has been with you absolutely because they bring and recall to mind and we can use those as a basis in which to lament, in which to stand or kneel or falteringly walk and grow, but to still say, yet he is with me. How can I be sure? Because it was even the very name of Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us. And he will walk with us. I want to close with a, a prayer. It's been written by um, a theologian, a professor of biblical studies at, um, from Israel. He's a Palestinian Israeli evangelical. What a title! Palestinian Israeli Evangelical, Johannes Catanacho. 
and he writes about lament and prays like this. Join with me in praying. This is a season of weeping and mourning, but it is not void of hope. Our tears are the bridge between brutality and humanity. Our tears are the salty gates for seeing a different reality. Our tears are facing soulless nations and a parched mentality. Our tears are the dam preventing rivers of animosity. For the sake of the mourning men, cry with us to reflect your amity. For the sake of the poor children, cry with us demanding sanity. For the sake of lamenting mothers, refuse violence and stupidity. Love your enemies and cry with them is the advice of divinity. Bless those who curse is the path of genuine spirituality. Pour tears of mercy, compassion is true piety. Pray with tears for the sake of spreading equity. Followers of Jesus, crying is now our responsibility. But don't cry for your friends only, but also for your enemy. Loving Father, as your children, I don't want to say teach us how to lament, because that says kind of implies we want to invite this. But I want us I want us to learn how to pray, which may be lamenting. And I know that the journey of life and this growing in faith at times means we stand alone or stand apart and journey through pain. If that's our experience and it's really tough personally, together as a family, as a church, as believers together, we stand with you, pray alongside you and contend through the distress and the dark. Sisters and brothers, we have been gifted this amazing privilege of prayer, of intercession, of, of lamenting. Even when we get to sighs and groans because we've run out of words. The injustice presented on TV screens and how do we change global systems? Lord help, have mercy. For the orphaned and the abandoned through conflict, Lord, have mercy. For the trafficked and survivors of abuse, Lord, have mercy. For the frightened, for how they will feed and heat homes across the world. And will they go without, Lord, have mercy. For those in power, and who hold the ability to release billions of pounds and choices to where and how to spend. Lord, have mercy. And may we live in mercy and with grace and compassion. Teach us to pray. Keep us growing.
in Jesus who walked the path through the valley of the shadow of death in the garden, sweated and cried, who wept over Jerusalem, who grieved at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Jesus wept. Who interceded for us believers and for the church right as he faced his darkest hour. And he still intercedes for us. Thank you, Lord. May we sing songs of joy and celebration. But also know in the journey of life there are times to be silent, times to mourn. And to knock and plead on heaven's door, Lord, have mercy. Heal the sick. Deliver the addicted and broken and oppressed. Raise back into life those for whom the snares and entanglement of death is creeping over. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.